Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. Given that we're still deep in the grips of the COVID-19 pandemic, I want to say I hope all of my listeners are doing well, staying healthy, staying sane, following whatever guidelines your local health departments have put into place, and are doing your best to do whatever it is you need to be doing. As always, I hope that my podcast, short and strange though it may be, is providing you with a little bit of enjoyment and distraction during these uncertain and difficult times. Like I mentioned last week, I'm opening my Patreon slightly. Instead of having certain features available to the 5 and $10 a month tiers, I've decided to make all goodies available at all tiers because I know right now is a time of financial uncertainty for a lot of people, and I do want as much content available for as many people as possible. So yeah, now you can access Tangent Casts for as little as $1 a month if that's something you're interested in doing. If that is outside of your budget right now, I completely understand. You can DM me on Twitter or email me at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com and we can work something out. Anyways, moving on to the subject of today's study guide. I'm going to be talking about the Madame de Montespan, Louis XIV's most famous and most scandalous mistress. So buckle in for a lot of gossip. Her study guide has ballet, a lot of bitchiness, a duel that led to a marriage, and poison. Let's begin. The woman who would one day be the Madame de Montespan was born October 5th, 1640 in Tournai-Charnant, France. Her birth name is Francois Athanase de Rochart, but most people call her Athanase, and that's what I'm going to be referring to her as throughout the podcast, although I'll also be calling her Madame de Montespan because those are the two names she's best known to history as. Athanase's parents were Gabrielle de Rochart and Diane de Brandezine the Duke and Duchess of Mortmart. Her parents both came from fabulously elite and noble families in France, so as a baby, Athanase had some pretty serious noble bona fides. Her mother and her father were both known for being really witty, extremely fabulous, and more than a little bit mean within the royal court circles. Her mother was a lady-in-waiting for Anna of Austria and took Athenaise to the French court for visits at an early age. Through her early childhood, Athenaise was raised at her family's home, which was a massive castle. However, because both of her parents were very involved with the royal court, Athenaise was mostly going to be raised by various servants and not get that much face time with either of her parents. Once she was old enough to get a proper education, she was sent to a convent with one of her sisters. 
because she was raised at a convent, Athenaise was going to be extremely religious for the rest of her life, which is pretty ironic given all of the scandal that would surround her when she got older. Also, Athenaise was going to be educated at the convent right around the time that French elite society realized that women, one, were capable of learning without their heads exploding into a ball of fire, and two, that women maybe should know things beyond just the rudimentaries of reading and writing. As a result, Athenaeus would come out of the convent school with a love for history, poetry, and above all, dancing. She also would pick up skills that most noble women wouldn't actually need to know. Specifically, she would be an amazing cook, which would make her intriguing to many men at the royal court. In 1660, when she was 20 years old, Athenaise made her debut at the French royal court. She started out by serving as a maid of honor for the king's sister-in-law, Henrietta Anne. And very quickly, Athenaise got a reputation for being, for being beautiful and witty, just like her mother, Diane. Very soon, Athenaise got a reputation, but mostly a positive one, for dancing with the king, Louis XIV, who was only two years older than her, at a ballet soon after her court debut. And in case you didn't listen to our two most recent study guides on Anne of Austria and on Maria Theresa of Spain, let's quickly do some background on Louis XIV because he is going to play quite the role in Athenaise's life. Louis XIV became King of France in 1643 at the age of four. Given that he was only four years old and way too young to rule, his mother, Anne of Austria, and her main advisor, Cardinal Mazarin, did most of the ruling as the regent. However, in 1648, the Paris Parliament, the law courts of Paris that were run by the nobles, basically tried to overthrow Mazarin and Anne of Austria, which led to a bit of a civil war known as the Fronde. By 1653, Mazarin and Anne of Austria did win, but in the process, Louis realized that he couldn't exactly trust Paris or the nobles and decided to start moving the royal court around. He wanted to force the nobles off of the estates where they had built up quite a lot of power to where he was so he could hold most of the power. Then in 1661, the Cardinal Mazarin died and Louis decided that he wasn't going to have a regency anymore, that he wasn't going to rely on just one advisor. He was going to rule all on his own. Also in 1661, Louis started to shift his court more and more to Versailles, which had initially just been a royal hunting lodge, but which he started building and expanding into the new official royal residence. Versailles would become the main royal residence in 1682, but in the 20-year interim period, Louis is just expanding it like crazy. So yeah. That is Louis XIV, the guy who the 20-year-old Athenaise has just danced with at a ballet. 
in addition to stunning everyone at court with her beauty, wit, and dancing skills, Athenaise also befriends the young widow of a popular poet, Françoise Scarron. The two will be close for the rest of their lives, which will be important for both of them later on. In 1663, a few years after her debut at court, Athenaise becomes engaged to a nobleman, Louis-Alexander de la Tremblay. But Louis-Alexander takes part in an illegal duel, and in the process, someone dies, and he got exiled. So Athenaise has to find someone new to marry, and she ends up getting engaged to Louis-Henri de Partilion de Gondrine, the Marquis de Montespan, who I'll just be calling Montespan because his full name is way too much of a mouthful. As it turns out, Montespan was the brother of the guy who Louis-Alexander had accidentally killed in the duel. So that's a nice, neat way to resolve all of the drama. And as it turns out, Montespan and Athenaise are the same age, so it should be a great marriage. Right? Wrong. From the get-go, the marriage between Athenaise and Montespan doesn't go great. They literally have to kneel on dog cushions during the wedding ceremony because of poor logistical planning. Also, Athenaise doesn't think that Montespan comes from a good enough family to marry her, and she is convinced that he is spending way too much money. In the memoir she wrote later on in life, she takes an extremely negative view about her marriage to Montespan. She wrote, quote, Albeit he was far from possessing those mental perspectives those mental perfections, and that cultured charm which alone makes an indefinite period of companionship endurable, and kept describing him as indiscreet and obstinate. The same year that Athenaise got married, her parents formally separated because her father is having a very public, very long-term affair with another woman. Having an affair with someone was fine for the French nobility, but you have to be somewhat discreet about it, and Athenaise's father was not discreet. And spoiler alert, Athenaise is not exactly going to learn anything from what her father did. When she has her affair with Louis, she's not going to be discreet. Even though Athenaise and her husband don't get along, they are going to have two children. Marie-Christine, who's born in 1663 and dies in childhood, and Louis-Antoine, who's born in 1664 and who will survive. Louis-Antoine will end up having a really great relationship with his royal half-siblings, which isn't that much of a surprise in my opinion. If you're related to royalty, why not get along with them? They probably can get you all sorts of nice jobs. In 1664, the year after her marriage, Athenaise gets a promotion at the court, and she became a lady-in-waiting for Louis XIV's wife, Maria Theresa. Apparently, Anne of Austria was not thrilled about this promotion. She did not want Athenaise to become one of Maria Theresa's ladies-in-waiting because she felt like Athenaise was too pretty and was suspicious about Athenaise's actual intentions because, as it turns out, Anne of Austria isn't 
an idiot. And as a quick refresher about Maria Teresa of Spain, in case you didn't listen to last week's study guide, Maria Teresa of Spain was the daughter of Philip IV of Spain. She married Louis in 1660 as part of a peace treaty, and the two did not have a happy marriage. Maria Teresa was not seen as pretty because she had a weird mouth slash forehead, thanks to all the inbreeding going on with the Habsburgs, and she also had a tendency to gain weight fairly quickly post-pregnancy. However, Maria Theresa did give birth to a son, Louis, who would be the Grand Dauphin, aka the heir to the French throne. And as it turns out, Anne of Austria was correct to be suspicious about Athenese's intentions. She pretty much used her position as lady-in-waiting to get close to Louis. It's most likely that Athenese began trying to get an in with Louis in May 1664 at this fabulous party that Louis was throwing at Versailles for his official mistress at the time, Louise de la Valerie. But Athenaise was somewhat subtle. She started by forming a close friendship with Louis, with Louis and Maria Theresa's young son, the Dauphin, which she thought would help her get closer to Louis, and it did sort of work. The Dauphin absolutely adored Athenaise and would be very close to her for the rest of both of their lives. Once she was close to the Dauphin, Athenaise turned her sights to Louis. And she wasn't exactly subtle about it. Apparently, Louis and Louise de Valerie would openly mock Athenaise because it was so clear that she was trying to be his mistress. Meanwhile, Athenaise's husband, Montespan, is very aware of what his wife is trying to do. And he's not exactly a fan of this. Or by extension, of Louis XIV. He thinks that both Louis and Athenaise are being way too indiscreet in their flirting, and he would like his wife to come home to the country estate, ASAP, please and thank you, but Athenaise is still the queen's lady-in-waiting. She can't exactly pack up and leave, and the king is into her, it would be so rude to just leave the king's court. So for the next few years, Athenaise is hanging out at Versailles, the king is flirting with her, she's flirting right back, but the king isn't making any hard and fast moves on her because he still has his main mistress, Louise. But that starts changing in 1667 when Athenaise is 27. The two had gotten really close to each other when Athenaise was in Flanders visiting with the queen. Then she and Louis danced together at a ball that was thrown for Louis's little brother, Philippe. Slowly, Athenaise starts to replace Louise de la Valerie because apparently Louis finds Louise too boring, while Athenaise is pretty 
and smart. There is a bit of overlap when Louis is having both of them as mistresses, and because Louis is kind of a jerk, he makes them have rooms that are connecting, so the two have to constantly be interacting, but finally he kicks Louise out and makes Athenaise his main mistress. In her memoirs, Athenaise is like, oh, I just thought the king was teasing me. I never believed he actually liked me, which is extremely unlikely, given that everyone else at Versailles said that she was being extremely obvious about her feelings. But yes, by 1667, she is the king's official mistress. Shockingly, her husband, Montespan, is not thrilled about this turn of events, which is fair. He's just been cuckolded by the king of France. He starts to verbally assault both Athenaise and Louis and starts dragging their names through the mud to anyone who will listen. And then he starts escalating his attacks. He threatens to catch an STD from a prostitute, and then he says once he has this STD, he will rape Athenaise so that she will catch it too and pass it on to the king so that they will both die from said STD. So yeah, he's just kind of threatened to murder the king in a roundabout way, which is technically treason, which is a big no-no. He then forces his son to have a funeral for Athenaise and makes the entire household wear clothes of mourning and begins acting like he's a widow and refuses to acknowledge Athenaise and pretend like she's dead, which, in my opinion, kind of a big overreaction. He also tells Athenaise that she's not allowed to use his coat of arms or call herself by his last name, which is a big fucking deal for status reasons. Obviously, Louis XIV is not pleased by any of this and ends up sending Montespan in exile to Cayenne in 1668. By 1674, Montespan and Athenaise legally separate. Obviously, Athenaise is pretty upset by all of this. She's lost a lot of status. People are gossiping about her. She's bummed, and Louis wants to make it up to her. So, he buys her an estate of her own, aka an entire principality, which isn't too shabby, makes her her own coat of arms using her favorite colors, blue and gold. So, now she has a new title, a new estate, her own coat of arms, which is a big deal, but despite all of this, she will keep going by the name Madame de Montespan, aka her husband's family name, and I was unable to figure out why she refused to distance herself from her husband in that way, why she didn't revert back to her original family name, because technically her family was higher ranked than her husband's family, but I guess Athenaise wanted to do Athenaise. The affair between Louis and Athenaise was controversial for other reasons. While it was okay for a king to have a mistress, obviously the mistress usually was single. However, Athenaise had been married, so that wasn't great because both of them 
were committing adultery. And while it's fine for a man to commit adultery, a woman committing adultery is a huge no-no because of that fun double standard that still exists in society today. This scandal over Athenaeus committing adultery got so bad that in 1675, a priest refused to give her absolution or take her confession, and she and Louis had to briefly stop their relationship. Despite the scandal that their relationship caused, Louis and Athenaeus would have six children. Apparently, Louis was by her bedside during the birth of all of her children and would hand-cook her meals and hold her hand throughout the entire birth process, which I'm not convinced that he did that. Athenaeus' memoirs said that he most certainly did not, but if he did, good for him. Their children were Louis Auguste, who was born in 1670, Louis Caesar, who was born in 1672, Louise Francoise, who was born in 1673, Louise Marie, who was born in 1676, Francoise Marie, who was born in 1677, and Louis Alexander in 1678. Can you tell there's a theme with the names? It's almost like Louis wanted to name all of his illegitimate children after him. Louis ended up making all of his children with Athenais legitimate, which was a huge deal because usually kings did not legitimize their children with their mistresses. Two of Louis and Athenais's daughters would end up marrying into the legitimate royal family, which was quite the coup and didn't cause any drama whatsoever. Louise Francoise married a cousin of the king's, Louis de Bourbon, in 1685, when she was super old, aka 11 years old, and it ended absolutely terribly, aka she had an affair with her half-sister's husband, and Francoise Marie married Philippe de Orleans, her cousin-slash-Lisalot's son, and I am going to be doing an episode about Lisalot, never you fear. Francoise Marie, Francoise Marie's descendants include Louis-Philippe, the King of France, and the current royal families of Belgium and Spain. Their other children ended up becoming major abbots, generals, and governors, which isn't too shabby. Good for you, Athenaise. At the beginning, Louis wanted Athenaise to keep the children a secret and away from court. So Athenaise asked her old court friend, Francoise Scaron, to be the children's governess. At the start, Louis wasn't that into Francoise because he thought she was way too uptight, but as it turned out, she was an excellent governess and did a very good job. Think a more competent Maria in The Sound of Music, and Louis and Francoise ended up becoming close friends. In 1673, Louis made all of his and Athenaise's children legitimate and gave them the last name de Bourbon, which was a huge deal because it meant the children were sort of part of the royal family. The word de in de Bourbon was a sign that they were illegitimate, but they did get the royal last name Bourbon. In 1674, Madame de Montespan got the official title of king's mistress because she was finally separated from her husband, even though she only got the title king's mistress in 1674. The two 
had been together since 1667 and everyone knew it. It was just now she got the pretty shiny title. Apparently, as the king's mistress, Athenaeus and Louis had an extremely lively relationship. According to her memoirs, Louis adored Athenaeus because in addition to being beautiful, she was extremely clever. And I quote, the king's character was totally different. His imagination was vivid and mere lovemaking. However pleasant, bored him at last, if the charm of ready speech and ready wit were wanting. I do not profess to be a prodigy, but those who know me do me the justice to admit that where I am, it is very difficult to find ever so small a footing. Throughout her memoirs, which are super fun to read, by the way. She's really sharp and gossipy about everyone at the French court. Honestly, at times, she's bordering on mean, especially towards people she does not like, such as Louise de la Valerie, the mistress before her. Honestly, her memoirs are less of, like, a chronological, historical, and here's what happened next, and are much more just gossip about what was going on at court. So if you want an inside look at Life at Versailles, highly recommend reading her memoirs. I really enjoyed them and they are available translated into English for free on Google Books. So you don't even need to translate them out of French and they're free. Yay, free media. During their relationship, Athenaise had a reputation for being beautiful. She had huge blue eyes, long hair that, according to different sources, was either blonde, if you were pro-Athenaise, or dark brown dyed to be blonde, if you were anti-Athenaise, because dyeing your hair at this time period was kind of a taboo, and a body that was very curvy, which was very in at the time. Athenaeus was also very creative and very into the arts. She was the head of a massive and very snarky social circle. Both her and Louis were massive fans of theater, specifically the works of Molière and Racine. She also played a huge role in the decorating and making Versailles into what it was during its first major expansion in the 1670s. Her suite at Versailles was larger than the Queen's, and she really pushed for everything in Versailles to be extremely lavish and over-the-top, which led to her getting the nickname Quanto, aka how much, because apparently she wanted to know how much everything she got cost to be able to ensure that she was getting the best and brightest things and no one else's jewelry or apartments were nicer than hers. At Versailles, Louis literally built her a pleasure palace called the Trianon de Porcelain. It was meant to be a hideaway for just her and Louis so they could get away from court life and be together in private. However, it was super delicate and ended up getting destroyed in 1687 and then got replaced by the more famous Grand Trianon. However, as the 1670s continued, she was not Louis's only mistress. Louis had a large sexual appetite and began having affairs with other high-ranking noblewomen, like the Princess 
de Soubise and Isabelle de Ludre. As time went on, Athenais began having more and more trouble keeping a hold on Louis. They both were getting older, she was no longer a young, beautiful 20-something, and honestly, neither was Louis, but once again, that damned double standard rears its ugly head. Also, thanks to the multiple pregnancies and children Athenais had gone through, her body was no longer in the amazing shape it had been in when the two had first met. And then in 1678, Louis falls in love with a new noblewoman, Angelique de Fontaine, who is 18 years old, from a good family, and absolutely beautiful. While Louis' other affairs with other noblewomen had been relatively short-lived and he'd always come back to Athenais, this time it looks like he might actually abandon Athenais for Angelique, and Athenais starts to panic. But then Angelique gets pregnant, and in the eighth month of pregnancy, she suffers from a stillbirth and, in the process, dies unexpectedly. Most likely, her death was just due to the utterly awful medical care that existed in the 17th century. And after all, it wasn't the first time that a noblewoman in Versailles had died unexpectedly from pregnancy complications, but there was something weird about Angelique's death because she was so close to the king and people at court start whispering. Athenais, meanwhile, in her memoirs, says that she was absolutely heartbroken about Angelique's death because she was such a sweet and such a young girl. Various drama and rumors at court had been spreading even before the death of Angelique de Fontaine's in 1678. It actually had been spreading since 1672, when an army officer named Gaudine de Saint-Croix was found dead. He was romantically linked to the very married Marie the Marquis de Brinvière. Apparently, Marie and Gaudine were big fans of poisoning and liked to test out this poisoning on hospital patients. Marie was accused of killing her father and brothers in order to inherit their money. She fled and ended up getting arrested right before things began heating up, re-rumors at the French court. After getting arrested, she was tortured and eventually executed. But right before her death, she said that she wasn't the only one of the French nobility to be involved with poison. So immediately, rumors started spreading that noble women were using poison to kill their husbands and get lovers via love potions. The proof for these rumors? The corpses of nobles who had died with corroded insides. Athenais gets caught up in these rumors. She was accused of poisoning her rival Angelique and using love potions to keep the king's interest even after she had gotten older. And the rumors keep growing. Louis had put this man Nicolas de la Reine, who was famous for cleaning up Paris in terms of crime, in charge of a tribunal known as the Burning Room to investigate the poisoning rumors. Over three years, 
Nicholas holds over 200 sessions, arrests over 300 people, and executed over 30 of them. The burning room showed how much of a mess Versailles was and how willing courtiers were to get ahead. They would even resort to poison. While the charges against Athenais specifically didn't go anywhere, she was never publicly accused or put on trial. She was almost in danger because the most famous of the Parisian poisoners, Lavoisin, said that Athenais was definitely involved and had been using love potions and had even killed babies in a black mass to keep Louis in love with her since the 1660s. Louis did prevent Athenais from being arrested or put on trial or publicly accused, but it did hurt her reputation. Interestingly enough, Athenais does mention the whole affair of the poisons in her memoirs, but she doesn't mention her own role in it, of course, and instead just makes it sound like she accidentally got caught up in some fun drama. By 1682, Louis shut down the affair of the poisons and the burning room officially. He regulates the sale of poison in France, which says that it wasn't regulated beforehand, which is extremely questionable, and says that magic definitely is not a thing, so everyone, please calm down. Like I said, while Athenais herself wasn't physically harmed by the affair of the poisons, her reputation definitely took a hit. Once the whole affair wrapped up, she became the superintendent of the queen's household. On the surface, this is a huge position and quite a boost for Athenais, but it also was a position that Louis usually gave his mistresses when he was done with the romantic aspect of their relationship, and it was an end, and it did end up being a sign of what was to come for Athenais. Louis ended up replacing Athenais. Eventually, his next mistress, and later on his second wife, would be Athenais's friend, Francoise Scoron. In 1691, after several years of serving as the superintendent of the queen's household, Athenais got into a fight with Louis and basically said that she did not want to be in his court anymore. Louis was fine with that. He kicked her out of Versailles and sent her to the convent of Fille de Saint-Joseph with a pension of half a million francs, so it's not like he was being unreasonably cruel to her. Louis then made her father the governor of Paris, her brother a marshal of France, and her younger sister the abbess of one of the wealthiest abbeys in all of France, Fontevard Abbey, which is where Eleanor of Aquitaine was buried. So, yeah, Louis was still incredibly kind to Athenais and the rest of her family, even though their relationship was incredibly over. During her time at Fille de Saint-Joseph, Athenais became known for her charity work and for being a patron of the arts. She got a reputation for trying to repent for all of her scandalous behavior at court and, as a result, gained quite a bit of public sympathy. Athenais ended up dying on May 27, 1707, at the age of 67 at a spa in bourbon la Chambeau, and after her death, Louis would not allow her surviving children to wear mourning for her 
which is quite the choice. We have now seen Louis be quite cold on the death of two women he was intimately involved with. So, for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's quickly recap the life of Athenaise, aka Madame de Montespan, aka the scandalous mistress of Louis XIV. Athenaise was born in 1640 to a fabulously wealthy and high-ranking noble family. Both of her parents were witty, fabulous, mean, and very involved in French court life. As a result, Athenaise was mostly raised apart from them. She was sent to a convent school where she was very well educated and developed a true love for dancing, which would serve her very well. In 1660, she was sent to the French royal court where she would serve as a maid of honor for the king's sister-in-law. She quickly developed a reputation for being beautiful and witty and caught the king's eye when the two danced together at a ballet. However, she didn't have that long to make inroads at the French court because when she was 23, she got engaged to a nobleman, the Marquis of Montespan, after her first fiancé got exiled due to his participation in a duel. Tragically for Athenaise, she and her first husband did not get along all that well because she thought he was too poor and spent too much money. After getting married, Athenaise became the lady-in-waiting for Louis XIV's wife, Maria Theresa. But Athenaise was not content with just being a lady-in-waiting. She had interest in something higher, the king. She soon became friends with the king's young son and used that position to become closer and closer to the king. It was pretty obvious to everyone at court that Athenaise just wanted to fuck Louis XIV, but that didn't stop her. By 1667, she became one of Louis's mistresses. Athenaise's husband was not thrilled by this turn of events and started threatening her and the king, but there wasn't that much he could do about it except get exiled. And once he was out of the picture, Athenaise and Louis were free to do whatever it was they wanted to do. And what that was, was have many children. They had six in total, and Louis, controversially, would legitimize all of them. In addition to sleeping around, Athenaise would also become a major figure at court and would become known for her patronage of the arts, being very smart and very mean, and helping Louis turn Versailles into the cultural center that it was and still is. However, by the 1670s, Athenaise's hold on Louis wasn't as strong as it once had been. She was getting older, and thanks to the multiple pregnancies, her body wasn't what it always had been. It looked like Louis was going to pass her over for a younger woman, Angelique. And then Angelique died mysteriously. Or maybe not so mysteriously, since she did die in childbirth. And as we all know, childbirth in the 17th century was not exactly the safest proposition. After Angelique's death, Athenaise got caught up in a larger court drama, the Affair of the Poisons, and got accused of witchcraft and poisoning Angelique and using love potions to keep a hold of the king's interest. Luckily for Athenaise, the charges against her didn't go anywhere, she was never brought to court, but her reputation took a big hit. 
Once the affair of the poisons wrapped up in 1682, Louis quasi-promoted her. She did become the superintendent of the queen's household, which on paper sounds great, but that was also the position that Louis gave his mistresses when he was wrapping up his interest in them. And soon, Athenaise was replaced by her old friend, Francoise Scarron. In 1691, after the physical relationship with Louis was over, Athenaise told him that she didn't want to be at his court anymore. Louis was fine with that and sent her to a convent to be an abbess with the reward of half a million francs. So it wasn't all that bad. Athenaise ended up dying at a spa several years later at the age of 67. So that's Athenaise. I have mixed feelings about Athenaise. While I do appreciate that she did what she had to to get what she wanted, which I always like of a woman in history, reading her memoirs kind of did turn me off of her because she can be pretty mean in her memoirs, especially towards other women, and I just don't support that. Most of my research for this episode came from Antonia Fraser's Love in Louis XIV, Natasha Frost's article for Atlas Obscura, Joanna Richardson's article for History Today, Lisa Hilton's book, Athenaise, The Life of Louis XIV's Mistress, The Real Queen of France, and Madame de Montespan's memoirs themselves. Next time, I'm going to be covering Louis XIV's mistress and second wife, Francois Diabine Scarron, aka the Madame de Maintenon. I'm also this week going to be putting out a tangent cast on the Affair of the Poisons on Patreon once again because of the coronavirus situation. The tangent casts are available on all levels of Patreon. You only have to donate a dollar a month to get access. If you're interested, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash sadgirlstudyguides. And if you can't financially do that, you can message me on Twitter at sadgirlstudypod or email me at sadgirlstudyguides. As always, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com, or you can reach me on social media at Twitter, which I already said, at sadgirlstudypod, or on Instagram at sadgirlstudy. And as always, the best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend or subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and let me know how I'm doing. Rate or review, or else I'll be sad. Thanks!